I think the important thing is finding something that you actually care about um, and that is authentically a reflection of you because there's, if you actually are just doing it for the hopes of like something being really popular, it's not going to work out for you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a marketer and an artist. And on today's show, we're talking to Miranda Jones, who is one half of the company Galanter and Jones, and they make heated furniture, beautiful, comforting, amazing heated furniture that I tried out the other day. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear this conversation I talked to Miranda all about her path to joining up with this company that her brother Aaron started and her time working in magazines and working at the SF Film Society before that, what it's like being part of SF Made, which is an organization that helps build community around companies that build things here in San Francisco. And I think you guys are going to learn a lot about what it's like to actually join up with somebody else and find an idea that sounds incredibly exciting to you that maybe isn't your own, but you have the right skills to jump into and help and make it your own. So let's get started with the conversation, and here we go. Miranda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so great to talk to you. So starting off, I want to hear about Galantir and Jones and what you have been up to there and what the the company does. I just checked out your heated furniture and had an amazing experience with it. It's beautiful and it warms you up. And I'd like to hear about what's the latest of the company and and what you guys are making. So we've got a lot of stuff happening right now. Um, We've been in business for five years and we have come out with multiple designs at this point and we're starting to think bigger. We're trying to figure out how we can be Tesla in a way. Um, somebody that stands for innovation and design and kind of pushes the envelope forward. You know, when we started out, nobody had heard of heated furniture. And that's actually still the case. <laughs> so still getting the word out. We spent a lot of time educating people that that's a thing. Yeah. Um, and that's been an uphill battle, as you can probably imagine. Yeah. But it's, you know, somebody has to be the first to do that kind yeah. of thing. And it's exciting. And my, my brother, who's also my business partner, right. um, Glantern Jones, is a brother and sister duo. He's always interested in the next thing. And he's a very um, inventive person. He's always spent time just thinking up new things. And he's one of those people that doesn't care what other people think, like actually, truly. Right. Um, which I can't relate to at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> and so it allows him to think completely outside of the box, which is great. He's some sort of genius, really. Um, well, I want to know. He's an idiot in a thousand other ways. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I want to ask about what it's like working with your brother, but I, I want to start off with how did the idea come about? Because I guess when you say it, 
especially in San Francisco, right? Those who don't live in the Bay Area, it's always a little chilly here. Yeah. And there's, you know, nice backyards and, and patios and things like that you can go out on and you got to wear layers. But where, you know, it seems kind of obvious, I guess, to have it, but it's not common. No. So how did the idea come about? It's, it's really amazing, right? It's like the most simple, straightforward ideas. Sometimes they're just looking you in the face and nobody's doing them. Yeah. And that's what happened with my brother, Aaron. He moved to San Francisco, I think, eight years ago now, and he'd moved from a much warmer climate and was completely annoyed that like <laughs> you couldn't spend time outside and that restaurants would do things like leave their door open and just <laughs> basically everyone had to put up with yeah, being freeze you out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he, um, had a, a job that he didn't really like and he got laid off from it and he was doing design build projects, one actually in the mission. And he had the idea to make a piece of heated furniture built-in heated furniture and he looked around there wasn't anything on the market and he was shocked he was like like you just said it's an yeah. obvious idea why isn't it available so he set out to do it himself and it worked so well in the backyard space that he decided to make it into a product so he spent 10 months at tech shop which is an amazing thing if you don't know about it it's kind of like a gym membership but for tools, high-tech tools. And yeah, it's here in the Bay Area. It's like a yeah. workspace where you can yeah, you, you can man yeah. work on manufacturing projects yes. and technology projects. It's like a business incubator or a serious hobbyist incubator. And it's actually all over the country now. There's like one in Pittsburgh. and Oh, wow. So it's a cool place. And Aaron shed up, set up shop there, um, spent 10 months figuring this out. And, you know, he, he knew there were lots of ways to go about this, but he really liked... Um, working with concrete and he likes metal and he, he went to architecture school, but then eventually left because he decided it wasn't creative enough for him. He probably should have studied industrial design, but you know, we grew up in Montana with no internet. <laughs> and so you just didn't know what was out there. Right. So he's working on this, this product. Eventually he brings it to market. When did you join the, the team, the duo? So, Make the duo. Make the duo. So he started this with another business partner who was the person who had the backyard. And theirs was a very short-lived, um, probably six-month partnership. Um, and I was always weighing in in the background. Um, but then when that partnership dissolved, Aaron was doing it by himself, and I was doing it as well, but I still had a full-time job. Yeah. And that lasted about a year. And... You know, I didn't like where I was working at that time. My job didn't suit me. And so it was a side hustle that you were passionate yes. about. Yes. Yeah. A side hustle that was passionate about and that clearly needed me, another person. I'm going to say me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so Aaron suggested it and I said yes. And that's when we really officially became Glanter and Jones. And, and that was how many years ago? Five. Five years ago. Yeah. Five seems like a lifetime. <laughs> and so, yeah. And we launched with the first uh, design called the Helios, which was based on the built-in piece that Aaron made originally. And we took it to Floor Grub, um, somebody that I knew through working at Sunset. and Sunset we, Magazine. Sunset Magazine. Yeah. I was a style editor there for six years. And took it to Flora Grubb and she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this idea. This is something I've always wanted to do. But of course, 
you know, never really had the bandwidth. I don't really know, you know, how to make things. Yeah. And so she was so kind and generous and we put the first Helios there. Wow. And we've always had pieces there. She's been a wonderful supporter of ours and we have a really nice relationship with them and that's wonderful. And I only went there for the first time, which is shocking to oh my the, gosh, to the, the first store. Time. Yeah, Flora Grub here in San Francisco. It's stunning. And I think I'm going to go back and buy a bunch of things for, right? for my house. But um, tell me a little bit about her, just, just the quick background. Well, on her, her name is actually Flora Grub, right. which is absolutely incredible. And she used to be on Valencia Street in San Francisco, and um, it was smaller. And she also was a palm broker, and she still is that. Um, palm trees, palm trees, right? Yeah. And I can't remember how long ago, maybe it was almost 10 years ago that they moved to the Bayview and they were the first business that I ever heard of moving to the Bayview. And she really kind of stuck a flag in that neighborhood. Um, and kind of, it was like the first sort of hipster outpost really there. Wow. And they bought that building and they've made it this gorgeous place it's it's a real destination nursery. yeah there's I mean, a there's a car with 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 uh <laughs> plants growing out yeah. of it and all and there now there's a ritual coffee it's it's amazing oh, I mean, so cool there's pictures of martha stewart there and <laughs> the clintons like wow it is an amazing thing and it's such a beautiful special thing and i'm shocked that it's not been replica- replicated more places because it should be yeah it's such a cool idea i I love going there and checking on our furniture, just watching people interact with it. Yeah. And also people there that are on dates. I've seen people there just reading library books. Um, one girl told me that she takes the bus in and comes and sit on the bench and reads her library book. Wow. Which I think is like the nicest. It's like a park. They don't, they're not aggressive with their sales. Right, they just right, want right. people to enjoy a beautiful space. Yeah, and so people go there, they check out your furniture. Yeah. And so do people buy your furniture both online and then in stores yes. like Flora Grub yeah. all across the, the country? Or Originally, yeah. Originally we thought we would not sell direct, and but nobody really wanted to take a chance on us. So we kind of felt forced to hang out our own shingle. And that's caused some conflicts because we sell to the trade and we sell direct and some people that sell to the trade or yeah, some, some showrooms that sell to the trade don't want, um, their, their lines to also sell direct, which is understandable, but nobody sells it better than we do. So it's really risky for us to give up that part of our business and say, okay, we'll put all of our eggs in your basket. Right. Good luck. You know, it's, it's a high touch item. Yeah. Um, so we do have, we do have furniture in other places and there are stores that, that do sell it and there are showrooms and we have one rep. Um, it's kind of been a non-traditional path for us and we're still working out a combination of what works best. Right. Um, the, the bottom line is that our furniture is so experiential. Um, you have to sit in it to understand why it's special and why, why you want it. Um, that's when the penny drops, you know, we go to these, um, these shows all the time and these trade shows and we say, would you like to have a seat? It's heated. And they're like, uh, okay. And they sit down and then they look at you and they say, it's heated. (laughs) And you're like, I know, but it's so hard for people's brain to comprehend something new when you're just telling them about it, that they really have to experience it for themselves. Yeah. And once they do, it's 
you know. It's magical. It's magical. And yeah. they really want it. This, I always think of, I love watching people's face when they sit down because it's really something else. And I, I think of that um, scene in Ratatouille when the hardened critic sits down and takes the first bite of the dish, the ratatouille, and he has, he's these flashbacks to his childhood and like suddenly he's like weeping and he's like, ah, yes, like it's an emotional response. And there's not many things that give you that. Right. I mean, there's food, there's places, but furniture except bed or maybe bathtub. Sure. Doesn't really give you that very often. Yeah. So it's an unexpected. Yeah. I had, I had that experience when I, when I sat down. Yeah. It's surprising. It's very comforting. It's comforting. Yeah. You want to. And it's hard. And you're so surprised that something hard could be comforting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and yeah, want you, you want it and you want to keep sitting in it and relaxing. And so I want to ask about working with your brother. Yeah. What is that like? Because (laughs) I mean, there's lots of family businesses out there. But this is, yeah, it's a, it's a challenging business product, all these things. Yeah. So do you guys just get along like gangbusters and it was like super easy for you to work together or how, how did, how does that go? It's a real mix. It's definitely a real mix. Um, it's wonderful to work with somebody that you've got so much shorthand with and that you know exactly where they're coming from and the references and somebody that you really trust and that you know is in it with you and is not going anywhere. So in that way, it's incredible. Um, it's stressful in all the ways that you would imagine. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a business, first of all, so that's stressful. Um, we don't have a lot of money, so that's stressful. We're both doing it full time, and this is the only thing supporting us. And we want it to be much bigger, and we want it to... You know, we want it to like make our change our lives, and so it's it's stressful in a in a thousand ways. Um, but at the end of the day, my brother is one of the most amazing and interesting and smart people I've ever met, and it's pretty incredible to just like watch him watch him be a, an innovative person. Yeah, and um, it sounds like whatever he's cooking up for the next year and beyond is gonna yeah. kind of change the game for you guys. I think so. I think it really will. Um, you know, and there's a lot, I mean, Forrest is smart and wonderful and innovative as he is. He doesn't like to interact with people. Um, he's just not a social animal. And so in that way, we really complement one another. Yeah. And we really, and I thought this before the business, but I was like, a long time ago, I was like, oh, if we were one person, we would have all the things. <laughs> we would have all the things. Right. But, you know. But now as a business, you get to kind of We have a lot of that I together. really wish we had a third sibling that had gone to business school. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there's we There's always adoption. Yeah, there's always adoption. <laughs> we definitely um, have complementary skills. Yeah. Um, we definitely have different ways of approaching work, though. My brother is so focused and... It's the only thing that matters to him. And I care a lot more about balance and that kind of, that kind of causes some conflict sometimes. Um, how do you carve out balance working as hard as, as you do? Well, I make sure that I cook meals for myself and I see my friends, you know, so much of my strengths lie in relationship building. And that means that my relationships are really important to me. So seeing the people that I care about and have relationships with really matters. And 
cooking and like going to the farmer's market. So yeah, those are the things that make, make me feel like a human being. Hey, I want to tell you a little bit about our partner Bond. Bond is a new creative conference that's happening in San Francisco on March 9th and March 10th. And it's brought to you by the folks behind BackerKit. And BackerKit makes it really easy to run a successful crowdfunding campaign. They do all of the scheduling and all the delivery and managing of the people who back your campaign. And Bond is going to be this amazing conference where people are going to learn about everything it takes to run a successful business online and create community and really bring people together to learn from one another. I'm actually going to be speaking there as well. I'm so excited. I also run the marketing firm Openverse, and I'll be speaking about all my marketing experiences there and hopefully sharing and getting to answer lots of questions from people who will be attending the conference. There'll be speakers from Patreon, from Kickstarter, from a ton of really amazing companies and a lot of creative independent folks who are going to talk through how they make it happen for their creative businesses. So you guys should definitely check out Bond. If you live in San Francisco, come out to the event. If you don't, you should still check out BackerKit if you're thinking about running a crowdsourced campaign of your own. And we've got a special offer for Making Ways listeners. If you want to come to the Bond conference and you want a discount, we've got 10% off a ticket price. It's a little bit of a long URL, but if you hit us up on social media, we'll also be sharing it there. Go to ti.to backslash backerkit backslash bond backslash discount backslash making ways, and you'll get 10% off your price of admission, which comes with two awesome parties, an amazing swag bag beyond all the learning and excitement and connection and community you're going to build over that weekend. So check out Bond and let's get back to the show. One of the reasons I am so excited to talk to you is because you had this whole other life before <laughs> working as a, you know, in the furniture business. Yeah. You worked in magazines. Yeah. And you mentioned Sunset Magazine where you were an yeah. editor. You were at Pop Sugar. Yeah. I mean, how how does that happen? How does a magazine editor go into I mean, the furniture business? Yeah. I don't even know if I think of myself as a magazine editor because that was just one of the things that I did. And before that, I was in charge of operations for the San Francisco Film Society. Right. And then I had my own floral design business. And was I worked at Delfina Pizzeria. <laughs> like, I feel like I've done so many different things, so many different lives in San Francisco. Yeah, and they've all been so interesting. And I feel like all of the all of the skills that I've picked up, um, and the experiences that I've had, and the connections that I've made, have benefited me in this job. I I don't think I could have done this position or would have been ready for it ten years ago. I just wouldn't have had the experience. I love that because you know, you don't know at the time all the things that you're learning and how you're going to apply them to the thing that ultimately yeah. is like the thing that you are totally 100% in on. It's so true. And I, that was what was so surprising. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've actually been training my whole life for this job. That's and so great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of amazing. I mean, now I wish I trained a little harder <laughs> in certain areas, but it's, it's pretty, 
pretty interesting. Yeah. So let's rewind a little bit. What did you study in college? What oh, was what yeah. was what was going on in college <laughs> for you? <laughs> I naturally studied international relations with a concentration in the Middle East. Okay, perfect. I thought I was going to work at the Hague. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you know, so, um, I thought I was going to be a human rights attorney. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so. But now I don't care about people at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Screw them unless they're buying the furniture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, just kidding. So, so when did that kind of dream start to shift for you in school? Honestly, I don't know if it was a dream exactly. It was something that I thought, it was something I had interest in and I cared about. Um, and I thought that I needed to be practical. <clears throat> and I finished up my degree by the end of my junior year. And so I spent my senior year taking all the classes I was interested in. And you were at Holyoke? Yes, I went to Mount Holyoke. Cool. And so my senior year, I was like taking all these film courses and art history courses and just all these courses. And I was like, wait a minute. Like I could have been doing this the whole time. Like people just do this. They just study what they're interested in. (laughs) I kind of blew my mind and I, it kind of threw me for a loop. Um, honestly, because then it came time to take the SATs, I mean the LSATs, and I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is really what I want to do. So I was really, yeah, I was just really unsure. Um, and so I bounced around for a little while just trying to figure out what would make me happy, what would be satisfying. And I toyed with graduate school and I ended up not going because I moved to San Francisco and then I just started working and it never seemed like a good time to stop working yeah. in San Francisco, mostly because it's really hard to do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so was your first job at the San Francisco Film Society? I started there as an intern. Okay. And, um, it wasn't the first paying gig I had in San Francisco, but, okay. um, I was a chauffeur for a Korean family. Oh, wow. <laughs> Okay. I also helped open the Calgary Creamery store in the Ferry Building. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it is cool. That's really Learned a cool. lot about cheese. Wow. Um, and then eventually I got hired full-time at the San Francisco Film Society, and I had a couple different jobs there, but by the time I left, I was in charge of operations. And I helped them with their 50th anniversary, and then I left. It was um, a grind, as yeah. nonprofits often are. Um did you, but, you stuck around for a while. Were you learning a lot in the role? Were you passionate about film? I was well, passionate about film. I loved film and I thought it was interesting and I was learning stuff. Um, but then it just got to be not worth it. Too, too difficult, too, it went too through, hard. The organization was kind of in a little bit of a crisis. It was um, going it was just going through a lot of transition and it was a hard, hard time. And, um, it went through a lot of hard times actually after I left, they had a couple executive directors pass away on them and it was, it's a really cool organization. And the San Francisco, the international film festival is the oldest film festival, um, in North America, I think. And it's got a really cool history. So what happened after you left? Did you do, was that Delfina pizza and stuff like that? When did you make your way into magazines? So I, when I left uh, the film society, I started my own floral design business. Okay. And I realized that working 100% alone was not something I loved doing. So to bring in some cash and be social, I went back to waitressing, which is something I've done since I was 13. Yeah. How long did you do the floral business for? A 
just over a year by myself. Okay. And then I was doing also photo styling during that time. And that's how I got hooked up with Sunset Magazine. And that actually was another, that was the first job I ever interviewed for that I, I said, oh my gosh, I've been waiting my whole life to do this job. <laughs> this is so perfect for me. And it really was. It was great. And what I was that job? It. I was the style editor. So I was working with the creative director and the photography department and the home department mostly. Um, I was styling shoots. I was scouting. I was traveling a lot. I was doing market editing. I was writing a little bit. It was so fun. And one of the things I loved about it the most that I found the most fulfilling was when I got to shine a light on a company or a person who was doing something so cool and it had an impact on them. I loved doing that. Like it's so satisfying and it was so helpful to learn what it means to be on that side of a pitch when people reach out. Right. So it's really given me, um, I think a much better understanding of what editors or press want to hear about your company or what they actually need to make them write about you right, or cover right. you. And that's been really helpful because it's very opaque if you're not, if you haven't been in that position. So I see why a lot of former editors end up being PR people. Because they understand both sides of it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so you were there, you were loving the role. Yeah. At some point, what what changed? And then you went to Pop Sugar. Yeah. Which is kind of a magazine, but online, right? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought it was really important to learn about digital um, because... That seemed to be where everything was going. And I mean, people have been saying print is dying for years. And I don't want to hear that. Like I have every magazine. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and this was around when that that kind of sunset to pop sugar transition. That must have been six years ago. Okay. Five or six years ago. So the reason um, I left Sunset eventually is because my department started out with five people. And then by the time I was leaving, I was the only one left in my department. Yeah. And it was just kind of unrealistic for me to be able to do everything I needed to do. And also, Sunset had gone through a lot of changes. The longtime editor, who is a wonderful person, longtime editor-in-chief, um, Katie Tammany, um, left. And then there were a string of people that replaced her, and nobody was there for very long. And it was just in turmoil. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that Time Inc. was the parent company and they're running it from another coast. And Sunset is kind of an anomaly. It's a regional magazine as opposed to Sports Illustrated. Sure. And so they were always trying to figure out how to make it more efficient. And Sunset's a special, special thing and a special brand, you know. It's all about kind of like the West Coast style of living. Yeah. and It introduced people how to live in the West. It was basically... It came out of Western expansion. First magazine was 1891, and that's when people were moving to the West, and there needed to be a handbook for them to figure out this new life and what it meant to have different landscape and different plants and all this outdoor space and living outside year-round. And I mean, it invented in a completely new lifestyle, which is emulated around the world. Well, it's, I mean, the Mediterranean was doing it for a long time before <laughs> California was, but California is definitely an alluring place that is, you know, indelible. But it's it was truly a great honor of my life to work for Sunset Magazine. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, basically 
the decision was kind of made around you. It kind of it felt like it. You know, I you know, traveling 75 days a year and commuting two and a half hours a day and then not having a team in the same way that I was used to just it just seemed like it was the right right time for a change. Um, I wasn't the only one that left at that time. <laughs> um, I remember telling a friend of mine that I had just put in my notice, and she was like, oh, I'm so mad I was going to do it today. I can't believe you beat me to it. And it, was, um, it, was a t- it was a tough time. Um, did you have the next gig lined up, or did you? I did at that yeah. point. I did. Um, I'm a cautious person. Um, so I did. I moved to Pop Sugar. Um, and they were really interested in having somebody that came from print, yeah. editorial. Um, but it's a really different beast. It's totally, completely different situation. So I learned a lot, but it wasn't ultimately a good fit for me. Um, Just a totally different kind of uh, animal. A totally and, different animal. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you're you just feeding this online beast every day. And so I wasn't getting to do my favorite things about editorial. I wasn't right. getting to like find out and meet interesting people and see cool things and bringing them to their attention. I was trying to make sure that people could click on a thing and I, I it's totally different. It's totally different. And it's, um, I just, I don't think it was as good of a fit for me. Yeah. Kind um, of the, the favorite things you loved about yeah. working at sunset and curating and style yeah. and, and, kind of getting to know the subjects and formulating totally. it into the the presentation of the book that a lot of that was kind of gone. It was, yeah. It was just like speed and yeah. And there wasn't the collaboration. Um, I loved working with the people that I worked with at sunset and, um, you know, at a pop sugar, it's a huge room of people working with their headphones on all day. And that's, which is I think very normal for a lot of offices. It just wasn't what I was used to. I was used to being in the studio or I was used to being on location and, you know, in meetings <laughs> with people I loved working with. And so it just was a totally different thing. And so when the opportunity a year later came for me to do this business with my brother, I was like, that seems like a good idea. And while you were at Pop Sugar, you were kind of doing some of the moonlighting support yeah. stuff. Definitely. Yeah. I and was, so yeah, getting it, the press and weighing in on the the design and that kind of thing. Yeah. And do you think part of you is like, this is another risk. Let me kind of scope it out a little bit before I No, No, it definitely felt like a huge risk, but my brother is very convincing and he values freedom over security and I'm the exact opposite. And so this has been like hard for me because it's kind of against my nature. Um, But at the same time, the reward is really, incredible knowing that everything you do you're doing for your own company is kind of wild and it's there's a lot of pride in seeing people's positive response and knowing that you helped make them happy so you've had some twists and some turns and you've taken some risks though they've been calculated on your part if there's people listening who are unsure about what they're doing or unhappy in their careers and they just don't know how to kind of swing themselves out of it, besides having an awesome sibling who's, yeah. uh, you know, uh, genius uh, <laughs> a, a level uh, inventing, um, what, what kind of advice would you give them to 
maybe step outside of themselves and what they're doing on a day-to-day basis and try to figure out kind of a track that is going to lead them to a place where they can say, like you said, wow, I've, this is this is the culmination of yeah. what I've learned and my experiences, and now I get to put it into something that is 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 mine. I think the important thing is finding something that you actually care about um, and that is authentically a reflection of you because there's if you actually are just doing it for the hopes of like something being really popular, it's not going to work out for you. So I think that the most important thing is finding something that you're passionate about. And if you're not passionate about any one thing, which is possibly somebody like me, find somebody who is that you also think has an amazing idea and you want to help, help them. And think about what skills that you can bring to that. I think it's almost always worth taking the risk because there's no real mistakes. It's all just experience. And unless you take the risk, you absolutely never know. And almost every decision you make leads to another one. So (laughs) inevitably. So even if you make a decision and it doesn't lead you where you thought, it's going to be somewhere else than you are right now. And so you're not going to remain stuck, which I think is the most important thing. You know, people travel or people do X, Y, and Z. And the most important thing about that experience, I think, is getting a different perspective. And that's the most beneficial part and the most stimulating part. So if you can kind of step outside of what you're doing on a daily basis, even if you're not willing to quit your job, I think that's the most important thing. And I want to ask, how do you deal kind of every morning you wake up, how do you deal with the kind of ongoing risks that you have to face within the company and kind of the, you know, this, the stress of running this, this kind of business, what kind of fuels you? And also how do you, how do you tackle those moments where it seems really uphill? It's really hard. I'm not going to lie. It's definitely really hard. Um, having people that work for you and rely on you is a pretty big motivator. (laughs) You know, it's not just us anymore. It's other people. We employ people and, um, how many people are part of the organization? It is sometimes in flux, but last year we had six people. Um, right now we have fewer, um, we're always kind of going through transition, but you know, those people are employed by us and that's, you know, they're relying on us and both my brother and I are relying on this business. And so you kind of need to make it happen. You need to make it work. And when you have no other option and you have no safety net, it's a pretty big motivator, <laughs> right, you know, right. Um, make it happen. You kind of have to make it happen. Miranda, thank you so much for joining the show. This oh. was such a great conversation. I'm wishing you so much success with Galanter and Jones it's uh, it's it's such a wonderful product and so much fun and and uh, beautiful to look at and beautiful to experience. So, thank you. Yeah. it's been really nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. You bet. Thanks so much. That was my conversation with Miranda Jones of Galanter and Jones. Miranda, thank you so much for joining the show. I hope you guys listening got as much out of the conversation as I did. I learned so much. And I think some of those lessons around 
getting to understand somebody else's idea, finding the right way to sync up your passions with somebody else are so meaningful and such great uh, takeaways from today. If you want to learn more about Galanter and Jones, go to their website, galanterandjones.com. Also, be sure to visit makingways.co and subscribe to our newsletter if you aren't already. And be sure to review Making Ways on iTunes. It is such an important way and powerful way for more people to get to know the show. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix too. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.